You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Podcast. And be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 17 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week I'm so honored to interview the Discipleship Coordinator at my church. Her name is Quinn Lee, and she has just a really cool story of how the Lord brought her to this position in the first place and um, just kind of the way He's worked throughout her life. So Quinn, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. As we get started, I was wondering if you could share how you came to know the Lord. Yeah, um, I grew up in a small mountain town in Western Colorado. My dad was a forest ranger, so we lived in a town where we rafted on the weekends in the summer and skied on the weekends in the winter and were very outdoorsy. And that was just kind of the normal um, vibe of our household. My parents were not believers, so we didn't go to church. That just really wasn't part of our lives. And then in when I was in high school, two things happened at the same time. My parents had a couple that the um, husband worked with my dad and they were believers. And just the way they were living their lives started to make my parents really curious. And they were... Um, just started to ask questions about their faith. When we did go to church, we went to the Episcopal church. The couple went to the Episcopal church. So my parents started um, exploring faith, asking some questions. Also at the same time, um, my graduating class had a hundred people. So there were no youth groups at any churches because there wasn't critical mass anywhere, but there was an organization very much like Young Life that met on Tuesday nights. And so almost everybody went to it because what else were you going to do on a Tuesday night? And so when I was in high school, I started going to that and someone gave me a Bible and I said, read the book of John and mark in it and tell me what you think of it. And I had never read the Bible before. I thought it was really weird that we could write in it because Bibles in my world were like on this big stand at church or like kept in a China cabinet that my parents had gotten, you know, when they were confirmed or something. And so that just held me. I was really fascinated by who Jesus was. Um, and that it was a story. I never, I just thought that it was kind of a book of sayings. And so this idea that it was a story about this person of Jesus. So I started to be really curious. So that was kind of happening when I was in high school. And then I went away to college in New Orleans. I was determined to go as far away as I could and see lots of things. And just completely all of my explorations of faith were kind of left in the rear view mirror. And, um, you know, I always say the music got louder and the boys got cuter and the parties got more fun when I went to college and really um, just whatever the seeds that were planted, if you think about that parable, really did not look like they were going to take root at all. And God is just merciful. And that summer after my freshman year, my mom's best friend from growing up, who was a believer, still is a believer, invited me to come live with her for the summer. She lived off the coast of Georgia and she needed a nanny for the summer. And I had nowhere else. My parents had moved, so they didn't live in my hometown. They lived in Washington, D.C., so I went and lived with her, and I was invited to um, a very cute boy asked me to go on a date, and it was to go hear this guy named Andy Stanley, who was a youth pastor, who was speaking one night, and as he was speaking, just the way he articulated the gospel, I thought that is what I want to give my life to. So that summer, I um, 
dedicated my life to Christ and have been walking with him since then. So that was summer of 1989. And I've just continued to discover that he's the the best storyteller, writes the best stories, and following him has not always been easy, but it's always been um, worth it. So that's just a little snippet of my story. Yeah, I love that. And just the way that you know, the devil tried to use those cute boys to pull you one he way. <laughs> and right. God used the cute boy to get you where you really needed yep. to be. <laughs> yep, for sure. And what was funny is he, that um, guy, I mean, I've never seen him since then. He actually wasn't even living at home that summer. I'm sure my godmother, the woman I was living with, just talked him into, hey, would you just take Quinn to this thing tonight? So he, I, you know, he was used mightily and had no idea. But I know that the Lord probably thought that's the only way he could get me to go yeah. to something like that. So that's amazing. Well, I was waiting for you to say, and now that cute boy is my husband. No, no, that's another whole funny story. But no, that wasn't true. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's when kind of everything shifted and you started yep. more diligently pursuing the Lord. Yes. So yep. how did you now discover your purpose? And, yeah. you know, how has that shifted maybe over the years as you've continued to grow? Yeah. So I, um, you know, went to college, wasn't really sure what I was going to do when I graduated, did meet my husband when I was in college. He was from Chicago. So we got engaged and I moved to Chicago and started working um, in the event planning industry and some other things. But one thing that was always a constant in my life since I was a really little girl is I've just always loved stories. I've always been a huge reader. I was a kid that always had a book with her wherever she went, whether it was Charlotte's Web or, you know, Chronicles of Narnia or later other books as I got older. And so the Lord's always just used stories to um, just shape how I saw the world. And I, like I said a minute ago, I think what appealed to me so much when I started reading the Gospels is that it was a story and that God was telling stories, that Jesus told mm. stories, he used parables. I think that that is so much more um, who we are as humans than like, here's a list of rules or here's a theological framework for seeing things. So that was always my um, life. When I started having children, I started writing children's books and worked in publishing for years and years and helped as an agent, a literary agent. So helped other writers get their works published and just kind of thought that was going to be the world I was in. Meanwhile, I was very involved with um, the church where I now work at Forest Hill, leaving small groups, helping in um, kids ministry, all sorts of different things. And the Lord started to make me restless, um, gosh, almost 10 years ago now. And I just wasn't sure what that was about. I loved what I was doing and publishing and um, ended up stepping into a position here at church where I was over small groups at one of our locations at our Valentine campus. And the Lord really showed me that, you know, I was doing the same work that people um, are living in a story and he is writing a beautiful story in everyone's lives. And there's plot twists and good characters and unexpected events that happen. And that what a privilege to all of a sudden get to help people realize that God was the author of their story, that it wasn't just this haphazard, plotless sense of circumstances, and that he was inviting them into some really beautiful events that were going to culminate in not only 
the perfect story for their lives, um, but also the perfect story of him restoring the world back together. So I came and started working at Forest Hill and have just loved the opportunity to tell the gospel story and help people see how that intersects with their lives. Because I think sometimes people think following Jesus is things that you're thinking, but it's so much more than that. It's really understanding that there's this beautiful narrative that's that's being written in the world and in our lives and that he's He's inviting us to to enter into that, to open ourselves up to that. So I love that I'm still telling stories. It's just um, in people's helping people do that with in their own lives, not necessarily just in a book. Yeah, that is beautiful. And yeah. you know, you mentioned all these plot twists that we have yeah. in our lives. What might you say to someone who's in a season of their life story that is really difficult or feels yeah. like? a low um, and are just, they're just really struggling to see maybe the full picture of the story mm-hmm. and they feel very trapped in this one chapter <laughs> to continue yeah. the analogy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think that in some ways that if, if you were reading a book and you didn't know what was going to happen in the next chapter, when you're in it, you're like, there is no way out of this. There is no way this can be used for good. There is no, why is this happening to this character? And yet, Sometimes if you zoom out or if you're the author, you're like, this is necessary or this is beautiful or this is going to grow or change that person's life, that character's life in a way that they can't see now, but that will be beautiful and important for their life story. But also all we're, we're, we're intersecting with so many other people that we have no idea how all of that is woven together. So I think it's it's that perspective that, our stories are are moving towards good and restoration. That that's the beauty of the gospel. Is I feel like the gospel is the only um, world religion, the only story of the world, which is what a religion is that holds both the beauty of the world that things are good and we know what truth, truth and justice and goodness and beautiful things look like, but also something's gone wrong. <laughs> like there's a, there's something broken and that Christianity is the only thing that says, yes, there is a good God, but there is also brokenness. And that good God is putting things back together. He's taking the broken pieces and restoring them. And in the end, if you read the end of the story in the Bible, that all the sad things will be made good, that all the broken things will be made untrue, that it's working to um, a good end. And so that's true in our own lives, even if we can't see it. And then that's true in the in the world overall. So I would say just per- persevere and trust in the one who actually knows the whole plot line that can see the whole story. Because right now you're just in this one point where you're like this, I don't know how this is going to work out. Yeah. And such a powerful reminder that even though I may not know how this particular situation in my life will turn out, I Mm -hmm. ultimately know how the story ends. Yes. And I know that I have victory in Christ. Right. Even if I don't feel it on this side of heaven. Right. Like we're living for more than just what we see here on earth. For sure. And I think this is, you know, kind of a an it, funny way to think of it. But one of the ways a friend and I were talking about the other day is if you've ever seen a movie like um, Mission Impossible or something where all this stuff happens and, you know, there's motorcycles and explosions and all this stuff is going on. And then that's just the opening scene. Then the credits roll and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that was just the opening scene. That's not the end. 
we often think we are in when death comes, what we think are the the closing credits. Oh, the movie's over. That's it. God's like, no, that was just the opening sequence. Actually, now I'm going to, now you're actually going to step into the full story. And so I think for us to be able to see that death is not actually the end, it's the beginning, all of a sudden puts this you know, this opening sequence, this prologue, these early chapters into a little bit different perspective than than we can when we're in it right here, right now. And it seems like all that there is that God's like, no, 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 there's, there's so much more. So that is so good. I've never thought of it that way, but it yeah. puts it in such a good perspective of, yeah, this is just a snippet of yeah. the eternity of what we're going to get to experience. Right. Because yeah. by you get by the time when you get like halfway through the movie, you don't even really remember the opening sequence. Right. It feels inconsequential. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever read um, Chronicles of Narnia or if you read them when you were little or seen the oh, movies. Yeah. That's the whole idea. I mean, when you get to that last book, that they're you know that it's they think it's the end, and they're like, no, 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 this is just actually the beginning. You're just going to keep going faster and further into this true story that God's telling. So I love that idea. I do too. That yeah. gets me excited. That's really yeah. good. And I think someone out there needed that reminder. I I did. So yeah. hopefully somebody else did too. Good. I hope so. So too. as you've continued to walk with the Lord, has there ever been a truth about God that you've struggled to believe or something you've had mm-hmm. to overcome? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would say, you know, I told the story about going in as an 18-year-old, hearing this sermon and making a commitment to Christ. And I would say in some ways, my brain or my intellect kind of played catch up that I, I followed Jesus for, you know, three, even four years. And all of a sudden I was like, well, wait a minute, where where did the Bible come from? Why is there evil and, you know, suffering in the world? And walked through a season of doubt and really exploring like, hey, is this a credible thing to be a Jesus follower? Or do I need to check my brain at the door and just go, well, I believe it in my heart. So it's true. So I think that has set me on a journey of saying, that it's okay to to ask those hard questions, that it's okay to doubt, and that as Christians, um, that don't shy away from that, but also don't put it on a, a shelf and ignore it. That when that happens, that that to to actually do the work of like, okay, what where did these beliefs come from? And I think what I've discovered. And as I walked with other people is that all of us are making a choice about who we believe God is, even if we believe he doesn't exist, um, or even if we're a complete, you know, secular humanist or, and the choice is not, am I going to believe in something or am I going to believe in nothing that we're all choosing what we're believing in and, um, how we're, what we're basing our life on, what we are putting our trust in. And so the choice is really who is the, what is the credible choice and who do I want to live my life for and what do I want to live my life for? And I think for me, as I've walked through seasons of questions and doubt, instead of ignoring them, because usually what happens then they kind of just build up. And I think that's where a deconstructionism comes such a thing as then finally someone pulls the last little block out of the Jenga puzzle and it all falls down instead of like, okay, where did the Bible come from? Okay, what, how does Christianity um, compare to Islam, 
compared to agnosticism. So I would just encourage people that have questions that do the work, ask the questions. And I have discovered that Jesus has the best answers for the way, um, again, that the world can be beautiful, but also broken and providing a way for us to be put back together in our brokenness through the power of the cross. And then the flip side of that, I think, is I have lots of friends that are not Jesus followers. And I think for them, they think, well, I still have questions or I need to get myself to get, I'm way too messed up. I have too much things that I do that God would be mad at me before I could ever even consider faith. And just to say, that that's not true either, that most honest Christians aren't like, I've got it all figured out and I've got it all cleaned up. So now I can be a Christian. That the story of grace is I'm walking on this journey. And in spite of the fact that I don't have it all figured out and I don't have it all cleaned up, I'm trusting in a good and loving God who um, is, is walking towards me, not waiting for me just to walk towards him, that he's seeing me a long way off, as it says in Luke 15. So um, yeah, I've definitely walked and then just walk through seasons of circumstances too, of financial hardship, of children with medical problems, of, you know, hard things happening in relationships. And instead just saying God is present in the midst of that, which is what Christianity says, whereas other religions or other things kind of say either you're on your own or the suffering and hard things aren't real. You just need to to, you know, separate yourself from him. And I'm like, oh no, they're real. They hurt. And I, I I don't want to be alone in it. I want to have a God who is bigger than me, more powerful than me, but also loving um, and cares for me in that mess with me. So, yeah. I don't know if that was a long answer to your no, question. but that is good. I love long answers. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Um, yeah. So in those times of, you know, you mentioned some financial struggles and kids with mm-hmm. some health struggles. What has Jesus mm-hmm. done for you that's, has made you want to go the distance with him? Or how have you seen him show Mm -hmm. up in those moments? Mm -hmm. I mean, in real practical ways, he's shown up in, you know, providing for our needs, not always our wants, but providing for our needs. But again, I think what I've seen more frequently is that he didn't leave me on my own. I think the lie the enemy often tells me is, um, as Taylor Swift has taught us more recently in hers, you know, you're on your own, kid. Go, <laughs> good luck out there. And more and more going, no, you're not on your own. You're not on your own at all. I'm Emmanuel. I am God with you. So I think what God has shown me, what Jesus has shown me is if I keep showing up, then I will see all the ways that he's showing up, whether it's um, provision that I need, where it, whether it's emotional comfort, whether it's community, whether it's people in my life, that, um, that if I, again, kind of walk towards him, I will find him running towards me and my situation. So, yeah. um, and I, and I think, uh, you know, if I think about spiritual practices or that sort of thing, Think this is where I am all about community all the time. Mm. I think one of the things I love in my role here at the church is I get to provide opportunities for people to step into community, whether that's through mentoring and one-on-one discipling or being in small groups. And, um, you know, those times when you are in a hard season and you can't pray for yourself or you are having a really hard time seeing God's presence through the fog of your circumstances to have people around you that are 
kind of doing that on your behalf until you're able to do that and reminding you of who God is and who you are in him um, is is important and is the story again of scripture that there's nowhere in scripture where it's like, and here's this person all by himself, all by herself. It is always a group of people. It is always community, whether it's a family, a body of believers, um, you know, a tribe, a nation. So I think just making sure that we're in places where, um, where we have other people around us that are also pointing at Jesus and saying, eyes up there, keep your eyes on him because he has his eyes on you. Yeah. And what would you say to the person who's listening who maybe feels like, I have messed up my community, like mm-hmm. I, I'm too far gone or I've made mistakes or I push people away, and mm-hmm. or maybe they've never really felt that kind of community mm-hmm. even to begin with. What, what do you have for them? Yeah, I would say if you've had community and it's been broken, so you feel like you've pushed um, people away, that making sure that you've you've asked to come back or that, that you've been vulnerable or humble enough to say, I'm sorry, I messed this up. Um, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have, I didn't show up when I needed to show up, then um, to try again and especially the people that will let you try again are the people that you want to walk alongside for a long time. I think for people that say they can't find it to give it another try. And again, this sounds so like middle school, you know, girl scouty, but be the friend that you want to have, um, you know, be the one that calls and says, Hey, let's go for a walk or what are you doing? Let's, you know, grab dinner in my house doesn't look perfect, but I just want to have some people sitting around my table, come on over and we'll order a pizza together, or I may have cheese and crackers, or I can find, I don't know, some random nuts in the back of my pantry, come eat them with me. So I think um, just starting to invite people in that vulnerability invites vulnerability. I think the biggest um, hindrance I see in so many women's lives, especially, but also in families' lives and, and men's lives even probably more, is they are they don't have um, a framework of how they're using their time that allows for community. So whether that is, you know, I know you don't plan anything on Sunday afternoon so that you can, as you're leaving church, be like, well, come on over. I think I have some hot dogs. We'll just eat those together. Or, hey, we're all going to go to a park or we're all going to go walk on a greenway. So I think we long for those friendships, but we also don't do the things either how we spend our time or how we um, intentionally pursue people to actually make the space for those to happen. Because friendships and family relationships, all those things, they're, they're almost like I don't know, savings accounts where it's those, they add up over time. Just making those little deposits over a long time are actually what builds the beauty of relationships. Um, And so, you know, that's why I'm a big proponent of small groups. And the biggest thing with a small group is to just show up, join in and be real. And if you do that over a long amount of time, you just keep showing up, you just keep, you know, sharing your stuff and you, and you, you're, you're real and you're joining in the conversation, then I believe the Holy Spirit begins to knit together those friendships. So um, don't just wish for it, work for it a little bit, if that makes sense. So Yeah, no, that's good. And realizing that it's on you too. Like we all can feel empowered to make the phone call or send the text. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, there have been times in my life where I have felt very lonely and you start to wallow yeah. and like, oh, well, if they really liked me, they would reach out. Mm-hmm. But they probably feel the same way sitting at right. their house. So yeah. reach out first and you never know what will happen. And be, um, I don't know, I think I was my, I sometimes make it harder than it has to be. Like, oh, everything needs to be perfect or, oh, I need my backyard to look this way before I'd have people come sit around a fire pit or, you know, oh, I have to, I don't know, um, make a plan two weeks ahead of time. I would never call someone and just say, hey, we're sitting in, you know, we're sitting on the back deck. Are you sitting on your back deck? Come sit on ours. So I think sometimes I make it um, more complicated and, and really people are just waiting for someone to ask. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And we all want community. Yeah. <laughs> so really. people I mean, will most likely be is, receptive. Yes. Loneliness is, I mean, it's statistically right now kind of an epidemic among our communities. And I think in some ways that's that's one of the things as Christians that we can offer people that says, come on over. Um, I'm just happy to have you here. Yeah. That represents Jesus because that's what he did over and over. Let's just, I mean, it sounds dorky, but let's just hang out. Um, let's be together and then watch how the Holy Spirit works in those invitations. Yeah. 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 And the Holy Spirit will show up. I mean, he's always yeah. there. Yeah, he's for sure. Just waiting and to blow us community. away. You yeah. know, he is part of the the Trinity community. So he loves to to kind of invite people into what's already happening in the community of the person of God. Yeah. yeah. Um, in our emails that we were kind of sending back yeah, and yeah. forth preparing to this, you mentioned that you have a life verse from John. Yes. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I always laugh that everybody else has these really awesome life verses that are like on coffee mugs and say things like, I can all do do all things through Christ or the Lord is my shepherd. And mine really is from John 6. And so just to give it a little setup, this is after the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he has this whole thing. And then he starts saying some really hard things about you know, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood and everybody just scatters. They're like, this is getting really weird. I'm out of here. And so Jesus turns to the disciples and says, are you all going to leave me too? And I've always loved what Peter says and says, say that this is my life verse. It's from John 6, 68 through 69. And Peter just says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I I, I mean, in some ways, I feel like Peter's just like, I, you're, you're, I'm not sure about you, but I've looked around and there's no other options. And also just that idea of we, we've come to know that it's been experiential, that, hey, we've walked with you for long enough that we, it, it's grown in us. We've experienced that word no in Greek is not just I have head knowledge, but it's more like, like, you know, your best friend or, you know, your um, parent or, you know, your child of like, no, I, I know what you're going to do when you first get up in the morning. I know how you're going to respond when that person says that to you. And that's that knowledge of God. And so I think, again, I have walked through seasons of doubt. I don't find following Jesus always just like, 
oh, it's just so easy. And I just wake up every morning and it makes perfect sense to me. There are definitely times I wake up. And especially now that I am a pastor where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is all this true? And I really, I am sold out. Like I'm the, I'm the salesperson now. I really better buy this. And when I kind of back that down a little bit and just go, okay, but I know I've looked at all the other options and I know nothing else is promising life that everything else, whether it's money, power, um, I don't know, adventure, all of that eventually over promises and under delivers. And that what I have come to know about Jesus is that he does the opposite. He Mm -hmm. promises abundant full life. He promises goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, and he's, he's, He's more than fulfilled his promises. He's, it's better than I expected. Does that mean it's always easy? No, but it keeps getting better instead of uh, building an emptiness in me that I've seen in others and I even experienced myself when I, when I lean into it, when I think, oh, Jesus isn't the way anymore. I'm going to try this other thing. Um, it, never, it never does what I'm hoping it's going to do. Yeah, it's so true. Um. We are almost out of time. Yeah, yeah. So as we wrap up, what did I miss or what final word of hope or encouragement um, or just anything would you like to leave us with today? Um, I don't know. I was really thinking about that a little bit when I was thinking about today. And I think just that, again, you are seen and known by God, whether you— see him or acknowledge him. And that if you will um, open yourself up to the possibility that he is real and that he loves you and that he is longing to be in relationship with you and you will, um, you'll just think maybe that's true, especially if you're someone who doesn't believe that's true or maybe has believed that's true before, but you've lost the thread of the plot to go back to story a little along the way that I have found that he is always waiting to say, I'm here, I'm real, and this is a good story that I'm writing. So so don't walk away. Um, be on the lookout for how he's at work. And I think you'll notice that he's at work in your world. Mm, that's I think that's the big story yes it is it's so good and tied it right back to the theme of story I love it Quinn thank you so much for being on today joy thank you so much for letting me be here Des I really loved it and um, thanks for inviting me of course what a great conversation with Quinn I loved how we t- focused in on this analogy of the story and the story of our lives, the story of the, the church as a whole, of, of the life of Jesus and the implications that that has for us as believers. And so after I recorded that interview with Quinn, I did a little digging into the places in the New Testament where we see Jesus as the author. And so continuing with this idea of story, I wanted to see the name of Christ as author author. And so we see it once in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, where the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. In some translations, it says God is not 
a God of confusion, but of peace. Um, but in some, it uses the word their author, where he's not writing the story of confusion, uh, but he's bringing us to a place of peace, and his desire for us is his peace, um, not living in the confusion of the fallen world. So I really liked that. Um, and then the other two places where we see author in relation to Jesus are in Hebrews. So the first one is Hebrews 5, 9, in which Christ is described as the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Um, so here, the Greek word implies that which causes something. So Christ gives cause for our salvation. Uh, in all that Christ accomplished by his death and resurrection, he became the personal mediating cause of salvation of which all the conditions, attainments, privileges, and rewards transcend the conditions and limitations of time. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> that, like no other human could possibly bring that into being and create that out of the way that he lives his life. Um, and I'm, I'm reading here from All the Divine Names and Titles in the Bible by Herbert Lockyer. And he goes on to say that Christ is not merely, not the merely formal cause of our salvation. He is the concrete and active cause of it. He has not merely caused or affected it. He is, as his name Jesus implies, our salvation itself. He himself is salvation. So this is saying that the gift of salvation is not something, it's someone. Um, and then the last time we see the term author for Jesus is a little bit later in Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, 2, Jesus is described as the author and finisher of our faith. Um, so this idea that he's not just the author of it, the creator of it, but what he did is the finisher of it. He completes it. All the promises of God and the Bible and the Old Testament are complete in Jesus. He is the perfecter of faith. In himself, he furnished the perfect development, the supreme example of faith. And in virtue of this, he is the leader of the whole believing host of all time. <laughs> From beginning to the end, even the people of faith who came before him, it is complete and finished for them, just as it is for us in what Jesus did. Um, so just pretty cool. I don't, the Bible's awesome. God is so rich and deep, and there's always more and more mysteries to uncover. So, you know, even just digging into that one word of author, we learn so much about the richness and history of our faith and what Jesus really did to complete the process. And when he says it is finished, he means the work of our salvation, that he's done it, that now we can have full, free, eternal life in him because he authored it, he started it, and he finished it. So we know the end of the story because we know Jesus and he is the author and finisher of our faith, and He is a God of peace, not confusion. So I hope you can sit in that and rest in that this week, and we will see you next time on The Collected Podcast. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries.